Thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, who is the president of All Metals and Forge Group and the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio. If you're looking for open die forgings or seamless roll rings for industrial machinery purposes or the Defense Department or aerospace, lots of different companies and industries that company serves at steelforge.com. Joining us today is Norbert Orr, who is our senior correspondent on international surveys of the Purchasing Managers Index. I always like to watch the graph that Norbert puts together called a scattergram or a scatter plot. I liken it to a group of starlings that you see in the sky shifting direction quickly. And Norbert, it looks like the starlings have shifted to expansion, expanding but weakening. Is that about accurate? Uh, yes, that is. And I think uh, it, it's uh, not of a major concern at this point, Tim, simply because uh, those that are uh, peaking are flattening out. And even though they're growing, they're, they're growing at a slower pace. They can't continue on the same trajectory that they were on growing, growing very quickly. So uh, I, I don't have any major concerns about that, but it, it says uh, out of the 18 that we follow, uh, I think 16 of those are, are uh, either expanding and getting weaker, but getting weaker as they go, or expanding and strengthening as they go, with the, most of them around the midpoint of that. So it's where I would expect uh, all of this global business and so on to be at this point. Uh, we said back in May, if I remember right, that we probably had reached the apex at that point and would see things start to flatten out and the diffusion index as it drops, uh, it tends to get flatter and flatter to where it settles in or in the low 50s from that. So uh, fully what we expect to see, uh, see some real surprises in there in terms of uh, Australia, uh, Taiwan, uh, all up in the mid 60s still. Uh, so things are going pretty well over there. Well, Lou, you had a question about I, one particular uh, in the good old US of A. Yeah, uh, the ISM U.S. Uh, ISM, there's a segment uh, for Chicago, uh, and that's like the highest on your scattergram chart at 73.4, which is like an unbelievable number. Uh, point is, is that just for our listeners and readers, are they, is that uh, totally Chicago or does it encompass certain states in the Midwest? Uh, well, it probably has some overflow from Indiana, uh, where it shares a border. Wisconsin shares a border. There might be a little bit of overflow, but it's primarily the, the uh, greater Chicago area, plus, 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 uh, that, that we're seeing from that. There, there's a couple of things. Uh, I always put, <clears throat> excuse me, I always put uh, Chicago on the, uh, uh, on the, the chart and then wonder why I, I keep putting up with it. Uh, but 
first of all, Chicago, the survey mix is at 65% manufacturing, 35% services. So when we see a 73, we don't know whether that was the services that drove it or the manufacturing that drove it. To get 73, I think you probably have to have both of them drive it. And so we'll assume that things are just better, getting better in Chicago. Uh, maybe more people are getting back to work, that type of thing from that. But I, I, I don't feel like Chicago is a fair uh, indicator of either manufacturing or services. It's just basically here's what that region is producing. It's nice to know somebody's doing really well, uh, but uh, we're not going to put a, put too much, uh, you know, on that. If I take Taiwan, which is at sixty five point two, for instance, and right. compare it to Chicago, uh, Taiwan is all manufacturing. They have a ninety percent response rate. Uh, they've got four hundred people on the panel. Uh, all, all good reasons to believe that uh, Taiwan manufacturing is doing extraordinarily well right now and looks to probably continue doing that. So, so the, the point of the Chicago uh, stats is uh, more, I, I would gather, more for interest sake uh, about a, a particular uh, section, but it doesn't really affect our entire economy as the ISM national number beams. That, that would be right. And basically, uh, I, I, if I take Chicago off of there, uh, the financial community, the first thing I'm gonna say is, well, what about Chicago? <laughs> and so uh, it's better by omission uh, uh, or better than going by omission uh, to do that. I just live with it. Did, didn't you have another uh, sweet spot uh, ISM number in the U.S.? I vaguely recall. Dallas? Uh, Dallas is, is one that I like. That's the Dallas Fed. Now, it was uh, at June, it was at 60.6, and it came in at uh, 60.1 in July. So uh, great reading. Uh, Dallas is interesting because an awful lot of it gets away from the energy industry. Houston's the energy industry, and Dallas is a consumer products, a lot of other things. Uh, uh, Dallas is strong in the services area uh, from that. But, so I, I like the Dallas uh, data. Uh, good read on it. That's been solid. It continues to be that way. Texas economy is uh, doing well and, and looks to uh, uh, looks to continue to do that. Got it. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up, Norbert. I'm curious as we watch this uh, scatter plot or scattergram month to month. It seems to be, although it's measuring month to month change, pretty volatile. I mean, the starlings are in the upper left, and they're in the upper right, and they're in the upper. I mean, they move pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think it's the nature of, uh, you know, what we're doing. Uh, the reality is we're taking 18 surveys from around the globe, and you would expect it to be more of a smoothing effect when you take uh, 18 very disparate uh, uh, reports and pull them together. But 
we do get, and some of the volatility comes from Chicago, very honestly. Uh, <laughs> we could look at Japan and we'd see very little volatility uh, that comes from that. Uh, the two China surveys, uh, I never know what to believe because they don't have any volatility. Uh, so uh, the, the ones that do, that do that have any impact, Australia is pretty uh, volatile. Uh, and uh, plays a role in that. Uh, but uh, again, the, the volatility, I like volatility in the uh, indexes because it means somebody's alive and well and doing something uh, <laughs> from doing that. Yeah, that's certainly good. So let's take a look at Asia. We, there's a lot of talk about, you know, chips coming out of Asia and the U.S. trying to implant chip manufacturing and foundries but it's gonna be 2022 or three before they're online. Uh, how is Asia doing and can we continue to depend on it as a good source of supply? I think we can depend on, uh, other than China, I, I think we can depend on much of Asia for supply. Taiwan is great with regard to chips uh, they're a great trading partner. Everything works well with them. Uh, Vietnam, uh, Myanmar, uh, those, uh, Singapore, uh, you know, Singapore has a lot of chip manufacturing capability and so on. So uh, I, I think uh, those are, are going to remain very stable. I think South Korea, uh, uh, the difference with South Korea, for instance, in Taiwan, South Korea is in the heavy equipment, uh, construction equipment, uh, those types of things, uh, appliances, uh, big stuff in most cases uh, that they get involved with. And, uh, and they do a fairly good job. Uh, they, they've kind of made their way back from uh, here recently when they were uh, struggling. I'm trying to look and see what the number is. There we go. Uh, South Korea came in at 53. It was down from 53.9. It was uh, up from 53.7, uh, down from 54.6. Uh, so very, very much in a good range of where business is, is growing, uh, but not overly so. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we have to depend on, we have to depend on uh, uh, South Korea, Japan, the rest. Call from Amanda. Uh, we, we have to uh, rely on those countries to, to uh, uh, really support us. Uh, and we're going to trade with somebody, so it's going to have to be, um, uh, it's going to have to be uh, one of those countries. Uh, how is Europe doing? Now, I, I can't tell you what Europe GDP is as a whole, or if you measure eight of the 28 countries or all 28, uh, it, it seems to be faring pretty well. It's recovering from COVID. Uh, is it continuing to gain strength and is it likely to continue to gain strength? It has gained strength. Uh, in fact, uh, Europe is having some of its best times ever. 
and in terms of the last 20 or 30 years, uh, the numbers are, 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 are record-breaking in some most instances. Uh, uh, Germany uh, was lagging behind everybody in Europe, and the, they need, uh, the Eurozone needs Germany for leadership. And so this month, uh, Germany came in at 65.9. The uh, EZ, or European Eurozone, came in at 62.8. So Germany was leading the Eurozone and what's going on there. It's important for that. I, I think the, the, the miracle of the ages really comes back to the UK, uh, though. UK came in at 60.4, down from 63.9, down from 65.6. Remember all the discussions about Brexit, that the uh, UK was just making absolutely uh, uh, huge mistakes in getting out of the EZ. And uh, if, uh, to me, it looks like if this is a mistake, uh, I would look to try to make a few more of them. Uh, because uh, there, there is a, they're doing extraordinarily well, uh, and I think they've worked through many of the problems. And London is still the European financial center, and will continue to be so. Norbert, so let me let me ask you, uh, and we haven't really gotten into this part of our conversation yet, and that has to do with COVID. Uh, and that is that everybody's doing wonderful. Everybody, you know, the economy is going and, you know, up in the 60s, you know, it's almost uh, unheard of. Uh, hasn't the COVID affected the economy? Uh, or do we need the COVID to grow our economy? I mean, <laughs> well, we need uh, to resolve the COVID issue if we want to get out of an inflationary environment. Because... Uh, it creates tremendous uncertainty. Right. And the markets don't like uncertainty. Manufacturing doesn't like uncertainty. And uh, so we have to get past that uh, one, one way or the other, I guess. And, uh, and yes, it is having an impact because uh, a lot of manufacturers, though they're, they're operating and producing, they're not necessarily doing running the products they'd like to be running and so if you have a high margin you know uh, in manufacturing you have high margin products which you love and you have low margin project products which you you want to keep but you don't want to uh, uh, you, you don't want to rely on too much because you need the high margin products to really run the business effectively and I think we have this problem that uh, I, I think there's a real bias against manufacturing. Uh, when, when I talk to groups, I always say, you know, I, I don't think anybody is raising their child to work third shift. <laughs> but yet we need a lot of intelligent people working third shift to make uh, the, our factories as efficient as we would like for them to, to be. Well, if you put them in a lab with a white coat, uh, they might take that third shift. You think that'll, that, that'll help the, sell the, the It's all the optics. Hey, uh, 
that works. Uh, yeah, but, I, but I think we're, we are at a point where we're having a hard time getting people into manufacturing with the right skill set uh, from that. And uh, I, I think it's something that industry can do for itself much better than they can rely on government to do. Government will ultimately wind up training the wrong people to do the wrong things. <laughs> well, Norbert, I just read recently where the Fed seems to be considering the possibility that inflation might rear its ugly head and could be here to stay rather than it tapering off. What's your take on inflation? Mine is it's not only here to stay, it's going to be a problem. Uh, a, a lot of it, Tim, I, I go back to the 70s and the oil embargoes and so on. And, oh, don't uh, go back there. That was awful. I, I found that uh, you had the impact of oil and you had the impact of employment. Uh, oil, as it goes up, is a tax on growth. The more, uh, the more the economy grows, the more oil we use, the greater the price of oil goes up. And so it, 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 it continues taxing until that point at which the, the market says no mas and uh, uh, starts to cool off and close down some products from doing that. The other uh, part of it is employment. Once inflation gets built into wages, you never get it back out. Once you, you know, Brett, once you raise somebody to $15 an hour, they're going to have a hard time ever negotiating that back out of the system to do that. So Never those, those are, do you agree with Lou? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Once, once you, you make that deal, you can only go one way. Right. Right. So right. those are the keys to me is to watch both of those. We're seeing oil prices starting to move. That's a tax on what, what we're doing. And employment, uh, we got a lot of people that don't want to work for $15 an hour. Uh, they, they like the idea of staying home and having the government send them a check uh, uh, do that. So I, I think uh, inflation, it's already built into uh, you know, the housing market. Uh, housing's up about 15% with no real increase in productivity. Uh, they're not doing anything to offset the price increases. That's gonna, that's gonna be forever more into the price of a, of a residential unit. So uh, that, that's, that's my take on it. I did a, a, a article back in 1983 that I pulled out uh, and it was on inflation and how purchasing people should react to that. And, and basically it was saying, uh, you need to write contracts that uh, if the price can go up, you need to make sure the price can go down because you're gonna see more latitude, more flexibility in terms of what people are doing in, uh, uh, in terms of pricing. And prior to that time, I, I never, uh, uh, really had to consider it that much. And then there's the other thing I may have mentioned before, and, and that's the, the term PIE or P period, I period, E period, stands for price in effect. 
Remember those? Sure. Uh, price in effect at time of shipment. Nobody, nobody gave firm prices on anything. So if it goes too far along, we're going to see that come back, and that makes it even more difficult for us to recover. Uh, uh, actually, I've ground. seen, to your point, I've seen on terms and conditions of purchase contracts where they have been putting in that PIE, price and effect at time of shipment, does not apply to this order. Right. So, you know, the, the lawyers now got a piece of this and they're going to put that in so you can't get that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, uh, inflation concerns me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, oh. I, have a, I have a question for you. And in your report, you have a section called a quick word on capacity. Right. And you're talking about uh, 14 industries representing roughly 66% of industrial production and capacity. Uh, give us uh, some of the niblets on this one. Oh, uh, uh, you, you caught me without that uh, file uh, with me. Oh, uh, so, right. but, but well, let me just talk in general generalities sure. uh, about what, what uh, you know, uh, capacity utilization is certainly uh, one of the great indicators uh, in the economy. The Fed measures capacity utilization. Uh, they do it one way and ISM does it another way. So uh, if the Fed is at 75% utilization, uh, that equates to ISM at about 85% utilization on, on the way the scale goes. And you know, one of the things I look at in that data is, um, for instance, the chemical industry. This past month, the chemical industry was among the best ones. Well, I, I've, uh, my, my history with uh, doing this type of thing is that the chemical industry is kind of the bellwether for manufacturing. If uh, chemical industry is doing well, then manufacturing is generally doing very well. If you see chemical industry drop down in terms of capacity utilization, uh, then you need to pay attention to, to what's going on. Why the chemical industry? Um, well, first of all, there's huge volumes in the chemical industry. And so they're delivering not only in tank trucks, but tank cars, uh, they're delivering in barge quantities, uh, the, and at the same time, they're also delivering in five-gallon buckets and 55-gallon drums. So you have a, a broad dispersion of possible clients or possible end users when it comes to, uh, to chemicals from that. So uh, in an average month, the chemical industry would be your average manufacturing. So they would be around the midpoint of what's going on in that industry. One of the other things that I've noticed in the uh, word on capacity about uh, uh, machinery builders, which is uh, near and dear to Tim and my heart and primary metals, which now primary metals prices have gone up and there's actually shortages now in primary metals. Right. Uh, and, uh, but machinery builders, that's uh, our sweet spot. And we see it, how it is uh, really progressing nicely. Right. 
and, uh, and it also addresses uh, capacity utilization. Right. Of course, the way I look at it from an accounting standpoint is um, the uh, uh, machinery builders, that takes capital in order for that to, to industry to do well. Somebody's got to have capital somewhere to right. do that. Whereas uh, aluminum, copper, all the rolls and that type of thing, uh, they're more out of the operating budget. They, they got to have an order to convert product into a final product from that. So it's two different, uh, two different buckets that it comes out of, but that's good because you get to see the, the full picture. Right, right. Well, all in all, things are looking uh, pretty good. And, uh, you know, Tim has a favorite saying uh, as of recent that it's, it's hard to talk about good news all the time because there's less to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you'll at least be able to make your mark with that, Tim. Right. Yeah, we, we don't want to look for the dark cloud when we're staring at the silver lining. That, right. And through the end of the year, I think we're in really good shape. Uh, there's enough momentum and backlog and everything else. Uh, and that probably will care, cover, carry over into 22. Uh, 23, uh, when you start some of these uh, uh, government spending programs and, and everything, start to suck money out of the private sector in order to do public sector work. Uh, which never really makes sense, um, th then we'll, we'll see uh, maybe uh, things slow down a good bit. But for right now, all of the data globally is sitting in a pretty nice place. So let's keep the ball in the air. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Norbert, thanks for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We appreciate you being here. Always good to be with you. Thanks, guys. Good to see you, Norbert. Yeah. And for all of you who have been watching this episode, you can find all of our episodes at jacketmediaco.com. You can also find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And tune in often as we are putting out more information at a more rapid pace. And by the way, go to manufacturingoutlook.com and read our monthly easing that we publish as well for the industry. And as always, thanks for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.